Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. I remember the time when I didn't want him, when I didn't even know what I didn't even know, had no desire to flaunt him, didn't even know there was a God who could show up, especially in a life that was so toe up. I figured I was too far, too simple, too scarred to ever have a God come near me. I was so far removed from religion that I wrote blogs on my MySpace about my decision. Atheist. I stood for evolution over creation. Besides, if God really existed, why do we got to chase him? No, he should chase us. Just show up one day. Build trust. Prove that he doesn't want to kill us. Because I always thought if he was real, that he's not for me, not watching. Church bore me. Every time I tried to read the Bible, I couldn't understand love's story. But you know what was funny? Every time I go to a hotel, I would read Genesis 1. And I would read it and read it, but revelation, I had none. And I thought to myself, how can people believe? How can people believe of a God they cannot see? A God that was just 2,000 years ago. A God they had no proof of and a God they could not show. So I left it at that, just a weird type of faith. I mean, people used to think the world was flat. I'm sure these Christian beliefs would die one day. But little did I know God was planning an attack where he'd... (laughs) Little did I know God was planning an attack where he'd interrupt my life in a way I'd never turn back, where I'd never turn back. Literally in one night, he delivered my life from drugs and pornography that used to enslave me. See, we're all slaves to something or someone. Either you're a slave to a prince of this world or the God or, or God's son. See, once we see the light, though, there shouldn't be an option. I notice people misinterpret our freedom and adoption. See, there's a mass hysteria of these two words called the gray areas. Where maybe drinking is okay and it's cool to have sex before marriage because as long as I believe in Jesus, I guess the rest is taken care of. Or maybe gray isn't your sex or drinking, but could it be you're for the left or for the right that affects your thinking? Social media being used for all the wrong reasons. What if your friends list was your congregation that you pastored each season? See, Jesus isn't revealed in the gray, but in the light. When you gave your life to Christ, you gave up the ability to be right, having your way, your say. Christ not being the head causes your witness to be colored 50 shades of gray. Because the Bible says you can't serve two masters. Because when you're in love with the world, your Christianity is a disaster. Faster and faster, your standards begin to drop. When one day you'll wake up and there won't be Jesus in your cup. Because the love of many will one day grow cold. I would do anything to be on fire for Jesus when I am old. See, God trusted Abraham to teach his ways from generation to generation. Now it's our turn, our church, our burn to carry God's revelation. See, I believe God's looking for a church who is separated, seated in heavenly places above the world's alluring sedatives, no longer forsaking truth or being relevant, but with eloquence, preaching the gospel with power, not just with our intelligence. Because we can't let the church fall asleep at the wheel. I believe it's time to rise up and begin to talk about our seal. The seal upon our hearts and the seal upon our arms. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not afraid of being harmed. Fearless, relentless, sharing the love of our Father. Not worrying about people's cold shoulders because the cold never really bothered me anyway. Also represent them every day through the rejection and defense of against the gospel and the so-called many ways to God, but there's only one way, one who saved, one who laid down his life, blood paid. He gave it all for me, and I'm going to give it all for him. 
Wherever he goes, I'll go. Wherever he says, I'll say, pursuing, well done, good and faithful servant on that great and awesome day. And this is what I pray, that we can be the people whose lives truly reflect Christ and not just clock in at the steeple. We're actually citizens from another country. Although I live in this world, my standards come from above me, motivated and captivated by a desire to please him, being so lovesick that falling away, I'd never have a reason. So we walk always with his heart in mind. In everything we do, we entertain the divine. Every word and every step is just to bring him glory. Our mission in life is to finish his story. So let the tongue of your pen be a ready writer, revealing the epistle of your heart, and set the world on fire. Just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. Hi, come here. That was beautiful, man. That was amazing. Oh, I am hosed. After that, oh, man, thank you, Nick. I, uh, oh, man, I'm so honored to be here. My name is Caleb. I'm uh, the teaching pastor at City Church in Spokane. And uh, yesterday I had a unique opportunity to uh, buy a police officer uh, a cup of coffee right before service. I was going to just do a little reading. And you know how I knew he was a police officer, right? Why he was, the way he was dressed, right? How we dress says so much about who we are. And, and, and we're, we're, it's like we send a message with how we're dressed about how we want people to perceive us, what we're about. Our identity so often is wrapped in who we, how we dress on a regular basis. And it was like that in Jesus's time too. People had certain types of clothes for certain types of jobs. And the truth is when you meet somebody, what's the first thing we usually ask? Hey, nice to meet you. What do you do? Like our identity is so wrapped up in what we do that we can sometimes forget about who we actually are. You see, when I was first coming into the church and, and, and was getting an opportunity to serve, I was a newly freed uh, alcoholic with a womanizing problem. And so the Lord told me to go serve my pastor. My pastor says, here's what I want for you. I want you to run our youth group. He was trying to put this identity on me, this, this job description that I just, oh, I did not see that. I was, it was like I was trying to step away from him as fast as I could. Every time I would talk to him, he was like, what about the youth group? And I was like, man, I don't want to wear that coat. I don't want to wear that uniform as youth pastor. You know, the disciples ran into the same thing. You see, at Mark 8 through Mark 10 is this a beautiful section of scripture about spiritual blindness. Jesus heals a blind man, then immediately Peter confesses who Jesus is. Then Peter, James, and John get this revelation of Jesus. They see Moses and Elijah on the mountain, and God speaks, and they have this amazing encounter. They know that they are in the presence of the Son of God. But for those three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, all we see them do is fail. Because they had a perception of what their role and what God would use them for based on their strengths and their understanding. You see, from that point on, they fail at casting out demons. They turn children away. They compete with one another for who's greatest. They actually go behind each other's backs and bring mom into the equation and try to get in to see who's greatest. They actually think that they should call fire down from heaven on cities that aren't receiving the gospel. And they try to shut down other people ministering in Jesus' name. They, they thought they knew what Christ was coming for. They had been with the Son of God, but they had missed God's heart. 
And they were trying to set up an earthly kingdom, an earthly dichotomy of what life with Christ was going to be like. And so they get all the way to Jericho, a city that is cursed, that no one should rebuild it. And there's a man named Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus' name means son of the unclean. So you have an unclean man in a cursed city who can't see. And the disciples, it says there was a large crowd, and Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was walking by. He's not hearing Jesus speak. All he knows is that Jesus is walking by, and he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. People told him to be quiet, but he wouldn't stop shouting. And so finally Jesus stops in the middle of where he's going. We're about to get to the triumphal entry, and Jesus stops from what he's doing. He says, bring him to me. The thing that's amazing is that Bartimaeus, a blind man, full of shame and guilt in a broken curse land, jumps to his feet, throws off his coat, and pursues Jesus before Jesus ever touches him or speaks to him. Why? Because he, was, he knew who he was calling after. He had nothing to offer. He had nothing to bring to Jesus. But he jumps up in blind faith. Quite literally, the disciples had seen all that Jesus had done. They had been with him. They had seen him in his glory, and they missed his heart. But Bartimaeus calls out to the heart of God, son of David. Who is David? The man after God's own heart. The man who, despite all his failures, completely laid his life out for the Lord and everything he did. And so Bartimaeus throws off this identity. You see, the temple would give cloaks to people. They would give a cloak to a legitimate beggar saying, this is your livelihood. The people of Israel, according to the law, they will provide for you out of their excess and give you alms so that you can live. So when Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is going by, the first thing he does is he throws off the very thing that he has relied on his entire life to live. Completely has to rely on the identity of Jesus and the hope of this man he's never heard speak and has never seen. I remember what happened that changed me in that moment. I kept praying to the Lord, Lord, how would you use me at church? How would you, how would you start to use me? And, and Pastor Trace, you know this, is nothing better than an ex-alcoholic's uh, womanizer coming to you saying, how you need to use me, Pastor. Like, you need to understand what my gift is. And I remember I was washing my face one morning and I was a professional fighter, and I had just had ESPN call to put me on Friday Night Fights. And I, I splashed water in my face, and I looked in the mirror, and in the quietness of my heart, I remember saying, I'm a professional boxer and a child of God, and the Holy Spirit grabbed me. Wow. You see, there was nothing wrong with my fighting, but there was something wrong with the identity order in which I saw myself. I was identifying that the coat I was wearing as a professional fighter was going to be the platform God was going to use to send his message to far out places. And I was refusing to take the door that my leader was offering me in that moment. And so like a blind man, I'm sitting on the road crying out for Jesus, but yet I won't remove the coat that I wanted to wear because it was my security for what I thought God was going to do in my life. But Bartimaeus jumps up, throws the coat, caution to the wind, Jericho was a town with lots of rocks. It's in a rocky area, stumbling over rocks, through bushes, trying to find Jesus. He did not care. And I realized in that moment that there was a humbling that needed to happen in my heart, that if God was going to use me, if I was going to see all that God had for me, I could not serve God out of my own strength and own understanding. I had to be willing to serve him as he called me. So I called my coach, and at the ripe old age of 26, I retired from professional fighting. And I called my pastor, And we met, and I bawled in his kitchen, 
as I told him that I was done and I would take the youth pastoring job. Some of us, and I still struggle with this to this day, is we put on coats even. We put on cloaks that we're not supposed to wear, and it becomes our identity. We can be serving as a pastor in a church. You can maybe think that it's your construction business to make lots of wealth to serve the Lord. And we start to see what God has for us through the lens of who we are and our strengths and our titles and our positions instead of seeing ourselves as people desperately in need of the mercy of the Son of David. And so until we fully come to a place where our hearts are repentant of what God really wants to do, which is to call us sons and daughters and to pour out his father's heart on us, what we have to offer is worth nothing. And so my challenge for all of us, as it is for me, is to consider, Lord, I may be a pastor now, but that is not really who I am. I am your child because you have set me free. morning. Hello, my name is um, Sierra Hilarities, and I come from a different background maybe than some of you. Um, I am a senior designer at a branding agency in Seattle called Finney Bischoff, and I've been in the design industry for about 10 years now, and um, working on everything from logo design to websites to brand guidelines, campaigns, three-dimensional, environmental design, all kinds of visual design. Um, and coming from a branding agency, I actually want to talk with you today about brand. And, and not just brand, but I, I found some insight in scripture, and I just, um, just want to share with you about that. But first, before I dive into that, um, just want to get to know you a little bit. Is there anyone here that either leads or helps lead in a ministry setting? Okay, so a lot of people. And anyone in a business setting? And any crazies who do both? I knew it. <laughs> yes, so how, how many of you have used the word brand here? Great, so everyone has used the word brand. Um, so have I. Turns out when you're working at a branding agency, you use it a lot for everything. And I've found myself guilty of using the word brand when I'm talking about a logo, a color palette. Oh, the typography rationale for this is your brand. Or you need to elevate your brand with a new website. And basically talking about visual things to describe brand. And I came to this place of realizing that you know, only using or describing brand visually is actually a little bit empty. And because visual things cannot hold the fullness of brand. And so today I wanted to give you a different definition of brand, um, something that I sought out to understand it in my work and something that I feel like will really benefit us regardless of if we're in ministry or business or even personally. Um, so the first, well, there we go. Hold, please. First definition, your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. That is um, from the richest person in the world at this moment, Jeff Bezos. The second definition, 
your brand isn't what you say it is. It's what they say it is. Marty Neumeier. So really your brand is more like an identity or a person, less like a thing or a logo or a, a visual thing. Um, and as a little case study today, I want to talk to you about a person and who's a particularly um, interesting and remarkable brand, and that person would be Jesus. And exploring the brand of Jesus is kind of challenging, <laughs> challenging and, and interesting on so many levels. But this morning, I, I really want to leave you with two things that I, I got from a conversation that he had. The first is that it's important to understand the outside perception of your brand, but also it's more important to understand the inside perception of your brand. And I'll, I'll talk to you about what I mean by that. Um, the scripture we're going to explore is Matthew 16, 13. And you're probably all very familiar with this, look, seeing that you're all in ministry, most of you. Um, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So here, Jesus is asking about the external or the outside perception. He wants to know what the outside thinks. And according to our last definition, that's his brand at that point in time. His brand is a bunch of prophets, which is really interesting. It's fascinating to me that Jesus is asking this question. It's fascinating to me that his brand is actually far beneath who he is. And yet he still wants to know what his brand is. And why is that important for all of us? Because that moment in time, your outside perception is a marker for where you're at, what people think about you, what people believe about you, and actually, it might even show you some opportunities. Um, if you don't know what's motivating, you know, some of these responses, you can't operate any differently. You, you can't, you don't know where to go from there. So this is just really good. Um, this shouldn't be a scary question for us. So I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid to ask about your outside brand. Um, and I'm running out of time. Okay. Matthew 16, 14. So the next verse, he says to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So more importantly, Jesus is asking about his internal perception. He's talking to his team here, and that's what I mean by internal perception. These are the people that work with you. These are the per people that maybe you employ. Maybe you, they partner alongside of you. These are your, this is your team. And he's asking that, and it's amazing because his, Peter gets it. Peter sees his identity in this moment. Um, and so, again, the question is, do you, how does your team view your brand? And this is the sign. Can they articulate your brand? Because if people don't, if your team doesn't know who you really are, your brand will always be misunderstood and always be underestimated. 
um, when your team is able to identify you correctly, able to articulate it, then they can walk in the same identity. So what are the results of a team walking in your brand? They develop a purpose mindset. Your brand gains authenticity. Um, you have the opacity now to, to grow in a way you couldn't because it's authentic. Um, and I, I just wanted to mention to Peter, the next time recorded where he articulates the fullness of who Jesus is and is in Acts, and that's the day when 3,000 were added in number to the kingdom. Um, so as leaders in ministry and business, let us be so in tune with who we are, with who our brand is, with our own specific purpose, so that our internal team knows it and can live it. And that's the way that we can affect the world around us. Thank you, Sarah. That was an amazing insight into that scripture. Um, go ahead, cue the video if that, if that worked out, I think. Go ahead and play it. Brother. It's time for the mortals to pay. My child waits to do your will. Leave us. Release the Kraken! in this context means so with the intention of producing. What are you releasing? And we talk about sowing. A lot of times you think about um, when you're planting something. Well, if you're, not, if you're not sowing with intention, then all we're merely doing is digging a hole. And uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit. Uh, I've, uh, in my role, I'm a, I'm a worship pastor a part-time at Jake's house in Arlington. And so I'm raising a lot of people up to lead worship. And, and then I'm also full-time in business, actually in a similar field, Sierra, um, in a web design uh, business. But anyways, um, I always am asking, you know, what do you feel like the Lord is stirring in your heart to release? Because I don't want five songs this Sunday. And neither do the people who come in. 
what are you going to release? And that's a question that I think we can ask a, a, a lot as we're walking through our lives and a, a question that I'm asking. And, and really, we can obtain that by just figuring out what is God stirring in my heart? You know, what is happening inside of me? Why do I feel that way? You know, what, it, all this kind of stuff. So I'm going to read a little bit from Matthew um, 25, 15. Um, and this is the parable of the talents, very familiar text as well. And um, it, it says, uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, is like a man who's about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. Entrusted, entrusted his possessions. To one, he gave five talents to another two and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Uh, the first word that I want to focus on is ability. Ability. God will not give you more than what you can handle. Right? So if there's something that he wants to release, he's going to implant that into your heart. And it's according to your ability. And the second thing that we need to understand is that that's okay. Where you are in your season of life is wonderful. And actually, God is really pleased with just walking this process with you. I've learned in my life um, that it's much more about the process than it is actually reaching the peak. Um, So no condemnation for where you're at. And the second thing that I want to mention, a word in verse 16, it says, immediately the one who received the five talents went and traded them. Immediately, immediately, immediately. As you read, each slave immediately did whatever they were going to do with what it was that their master gave to them. And we have to come to this place where we ask the Lord how to release what's given because whatever you do, whatever you do with what God's given to you right now is what you're going to do with it tomorrow. So if we put it on the shelf, if we don't release it in some way or or have some sort of a plan, it, it will remain on the shelf. If we, if we decide that, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig this in, in this, uh, yeah, I'm going to dig in the dirt here and, and do a whole thing and, you know, just kind of plant it right there, then it's going to stay there. It's just going to stay there. And uh, so uh, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing um, with the things that God's implanted into you, he's, uh, whatever you're doing now with it, it, you'll do with it the same tomorrow. Um, the, the last part is in uh, verses 21 and 23 is when uh, the master comes back from a long journey because he gives grace. There's grace, you know. He comes back uh, on a long journey, and then he asks, um, you know, he's basically giving me a report of what you've done with what I've sowed into you, right? What have you released uh, with what I've released into you? And he says, uh, you know, and they go through it, and we know the story. Um, and I love this, this phrase that he gives to the one who had five talents, the one who had two. He says, well done, enter into the joy of your master. And I realize that we will never enter the joy he has for us until we release what he's given us. We will never be able to experience the heaven on earth that we're meant to experience until we release what he's already imparted into us. And so when we come into, when we come into different places where we're going to release something, the good question is, you know, what are we going to release? You know, are you, are you just burying something in the ground that will eventually just wreak havoc and, and, and plant death? You know, uh, because that's what it does. It's either death or life. 
Um, or are we planting with intention what God has sowed in? Because this is from heaven. This is from the heart of God. So I'm going to pray over you. Father, thank you so much that you are, you are, you have given us the power and the authority and the ability to sow what you've sowed into us. And Lord, we declare that we are faithful. Say, I'm faithful. Amen. Amen. Come on, haven't we had amazing communicators so far today? It's been awesome. You can go ahead and cue that video. I'm looking through my phone again, feeling anxious. Afraid to be alone again. I hate this. I'm trying to find a way to chill. Can't breathe. Oh, is there somebody who could help me? It's like the walls are keeping in. Sometimes I feel like giving up. No medicine is strong enough. Someone help me. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I just can't. to this song say help me it's like the walls are caving in sometimes I feel like giving up no medicine is strong enough someone help me I'm crawling in my skin sometimes I feel like giving up but I just can't it isn't in my blood sounds like the cry of the world the cry of a generation that's petitioning that's pleading to the culture, petitioning, pleading to the world, to, to, to us as believers. Is there someone out there who can help me? I love these last words. I feel like giving up, but I just can't. It isn't in my blood. See, we live in a culture that's self-medicated, self-sufficient, Self-sustained. Really, at the end of the day, it is focused on self. And so what do we do? We try to mount up strength, mount up energy, mount up ability to just overcome what I'm facing. I'll just 
just sheer grit and push through. But there's that small little phrase, it isn't in my blood. It's interesting that we have a generation that faces more anxiety, fear, and worry than any culture ever in the history of time, including in the church. And this is the number one reason why. Because we've not recognized the power that's in the blood. We as a worshiping community have engaged worship from this platform and perspective that if I can just muster up strength, will, ability, and just tell myself it's going to be okay, just come into worship, that everything's going to be fine. The reality is worship cannot be a form of self-medication any longer. A form of self-relief. The same way people are cutting themselves and harming themselves and medicating themselves to get a moment of temporary relief, we many times do the same thing with our expression of worship. And so what happens is we stand on the outside of the most holy place and we feel and we sense the presence that's close by, but we never have it encounter us to transform us. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I believe what we as a worship community need to do is we need to recapture the power that's in the blood of Jesus. So three things that we have to recapture in the blood. First of all, we have to understand that the blood gives us access to the most holy place. It's not your sacrifice. It's not your ability. It's not your talent. It's not any passion or exuberance or any of the things we do like that. I love all of that. And we should be fully engaged, body, soul, and spirit. But it's the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us that gives us access to the face of God. Second thing we have to recapture is that the blood gives us full assurance of faith. Your faith isn't something you just simply chose to believe. Or a mustering up of inward strength or confidence. I can make it through the day. It's going to be okay. I'm good. God loves me. Everything's fine. It's the revelation of what his blood has accomplished for you. And now he is giving you his righteousness. You no longer have to try to work it out in your strength. And the third and the last thing the blood does. Is the blood gives us an unwavering confession of hope. The blood of Jesus not only gives us access to him and gives us the revelation we are now becoming like him, but it gives me the revelation I can now have a confession despite what I see standing in front of me. I think the reason why our confession wavers from one thought to the next thought is because we forgot the power of what he's accomplished for us. And so therefore, I'm trying to accomplish something for myself. We need to recapture the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Can we do this real quick? Can we just pray over the entire day and what you've captured already? And then we're going to send you to lunch. So let's just stand our feet very quick as we close here. 
amazing communications. Some of you uh, may want to go and connect with some of our speakers that spoke this morning, and Seth, who preached an amazing message, and maybe just get, get a, another nugget of what maybe they couldn't bring out in those seven minutes because you feel like there's something for you. So, so do that throughout the day today. Um, but, Father, we just thank you for each and every person uh, that's here today. We thank you, Father, for the communicators and what they deposited into us. We thank you, Father, for us as receivers and what we've received today and what we're going to carry. We ask, Father, every word would take root. And God, that it would bear much fruit for the kingdom. That it would produce everything you desire it to produce in our life and through our life. In Jesus' name, amen.